sometimes a relationship is so close and so endearing that the rest of the world cannot help but marvel at it. Not long after Inspire's Megan Beery began her internship, I began to notice that every Monday morning during our video chat, Megan was back home, usually set up with her computer in her family's dining room. A college sophomore who spends a good many weekends at home. I wondered about this until Megan told me about the bond that's nothing short of beautiful between her and her 15-year-old brother. Here's Megan to tell you why she cares so much about young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. This is my brother's first day of eighth grade in 2021. Are you excited for your first day of eighth grade? Yeah. Who are you going to see today? Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans. Are you going to do some math, do some yeah. writing? Yeah. Sounds good. Many people understand the bittersweet feeling of watching your younger sibling grow up before your very eyes. Suddenly, your tiny counterpart, who used to hang onto every word you said, develops into a complex adult with their own way of looking at the world. Insecurity turns into confidence, bunny slippers turn into dress shoes, and childhood jokes become fond memories. The process is wistful and wonderful at the same time. I've experienced it firsthand over the past couple years, watching my now 15-year-old brother turn from my little sidekick into an almost six-foot teenager. This process has been accompanied by the typical questions. What happens next? What are the next steps? What is his future? But for my brother, who was diagnosed with autism when he was three years old, the answers to these questions aren't easy or clear. Adults and young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, also called IDDs, have historically had fewer resources available to them after secondary education. As my brother and countless others approach this cutoff, I want to be able to answer those questions. What happens next? What are the next steps? What are their futures? In this episode of the Ohio State University Inspire podcast, we spoke to vocational coordinators, scholars, faculty at Ohio State, and most importantly, adults with IDDs to answer those fundamental questions. I'm Megan Beery. Robin Chenoweth is our producer. Carol Del Grasso is our audio engineer. Inspire is a production of the College of Education and Human Ecology. A common phenomenon occurs around age 21 for individuals with IDDs. When their K-12 education ends, so do their primary support systems and services. Carly Gilson, Associate Professor of Special Education, describes this phenomenon to her students as the service cliff. I have a picture of a cliff that serves as a visual representation of how many adults and families feel when the school bus stops coming, especially if they have not been part of an active transition planning process that would equip them for what to do. Because unlike special education, where it's a wraparound supports for students who meet eligibility requirements and even related services such as physical therapy, occupational therapy are all tied into special education. Once a student exits special education, typically around age 21, 22, they are no longer 
entitled or eligible for those specific supports. In Ohio, the age cutoff is 22. This means that the adults' specific school-based services end when they turn 22. The sudden loss of these supports can feel like a quick plunge downhill on a roller coaster, the kind that leaves a sinking feeling in your stomach. For many students, their last day of high school is the last day that they receive any kind of academic support, the last time that they receive any support socially and an opportunity to work alongside their peers without disabilities. And it's the last time that they feel like they belong in a community. In school, students are surrounded by a support system. This can include teachers, occupational and physical therapists, vocational coordinators, school psychologists, and many other professionals. Larice Joseph, professor and the program chair of school psychology at Ohio State and affiliated faculty in special education, studies academic interventions and outcomes for students with disabilities. Supporting students in schools involves a team, says Joseph. School psychologists, one of the primary responsibilities is to identify and evaluate students who have suspected disabilities. And so we work really closely with special education teachers and special education directors in the schools. So we conduct a comprehensive evaluation with a team of professionals. We conduct a multidisciplinary, multi-factored evaluation to determine if students have a disability or not. And once they are identified as having a disability, we work with the special education teacher and the student's general education teacher to provide an individualized education program for the students. Would you be able to give an example of something that would go into that individualized plan? We might try to establish some goals for the student and some objectives for meeting those goals for the student. The goals and objectives are tailored to the individual needs of the student. So these goals and objectives could be about academic goals, behavioral goals, social, emotional learning goals, and so forth. Would those goals change as the student gets older, like goes through the K through 12 system? Would they look different as they're preparing to graduate? Absolutely. So as students enter into the junior and senior year of high school, we start to look at what we call transition plans for those students. Some students with disabilities will go to college for example, it may be a community college or it may be a four-year college. Other students with disabilities, they may go into the workplace or setting like the Bureau of Vocational Rehabilitation, BVR, where they will be continued to be provided with assistance in being able to work independently. The transitional period after secondary education is where the service cliff typically occurs. School and community transition staff work to prevent that sudden fall 
whether the student is transitioning to employment or higher education. I spoke with vocational coordinators in Columbus to learn more about the school to employment connection. I'm Dan Burke. I work uh, for Columbus City Schools at Fort Hayes Career Center, and I help students with disabilities matriculate through career technical programs in the health fields and in the art programs. My name is Maria Angel, and I work at Fort Hayes Career Center, and I help with our students with disabilities in our community job training programs. And my name is Lynn Esprit. I work for Columbus City Schools as well. I work at the high school level, ninth through 12th grade students, helping them get into programs such as the Career Center, helping them get jobs and work experience, fill out college applications. And I work with students who have IEPs. What does this transition preparation look like from your end? You know, I always say that if it takes a general education student or a neurotypical student, a village, to complete their education and high school experience, it takes a village and a very active support team in place for a student with a disability to pass all the mile markers, to jump all the hoops, and to transition successfully to adult life. And so part of that support team is the transition process. It's a huge part of it, actually. And so our roles individually and collectively work together so that students have every opportunity they need to be successful citizens and productive citizens in life. I would also add that our three areas that we focus on when we're talking about post-secondary options is we're looking at those educational goals, their employment goals, and their independent living goals. And I just want to mention that I have two sons on the autism spectrum that are right in the midst of all the transition process. So I've always sort of seen this process ahead of myself when they were younger. But now as a 16-year-old and 19-year-old, I am kind of living that as well from a parent and family perspective, which can also be very overwhelming. Dan, Maria, and Lynn work with multiple community partners. Project Search, a national program that provides one year of job training. Local hospitals, schools, universities, and employers. The Franklin County Board of Developmental Disabilities and Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities, which includes the state's Vocational Rehabilitation Agency. Lynn works closely with the agency's vocational coordinator. What we do is we refer our students to her, and she'll come once a month, and they'll do, there's just so much that they'll do. They'll do self-advocacy with our students. They'll do career exploration with our students. They'll help our students write resumes. It's whatever they need to make them successful out in the community. What does success look like? It can take on many different forms. Maybe there is something that in your years has stuck out to you, a specific person that you helped and then they went on to do something that really just suited them and it made sense and the system worked. I have a student that I worked with who was in our law enforcement program in Columbus City Schools. 
which prepares students either for the world of work in security or beginning law enforcement positions per se. And this young man had a learning disability and he ended up working incredibly hard, graduating high school, and he's now a police officer in the city of Columbus. And I'm extremely proud of that because along the way, there were many hoops that he had to jump and many hurdles that he had to crawl over. When I am in the community and I run into a student that is working, it makes my heart just soar and like leap out of my chest because it is so gratifying. And when I see them happy and I ask them, are they independent? If they have their own apartment and they may still be living at home, but they're catching the coda. They independently are traveling to and from work. Those kinds of little things to me, they're active members of their community. They have a happy, healthy post-secondary life. And that's what I believe most families and parents and the students themselves want. And I have a student that stands out. He went to one of the Project Search programs and he took the CODA bus every morning. He was there on time. At the end of the year program, the employers came and they gave him just all the materials that he needed for the new job. And it was just such a nice feeling to see. And he was so happy. And it was just such a good experience for him. And he went from that program directly to a job. About 63% of white adults with disabilities are employed in some way, says Carly Gilson. This number drops to 53% for Latinx adults and 48% for African-American adults with disabilities. For many adults, employment is a form of independence or self-determination. Having a job, the benefits of that mean that adults can live independently, they can contribute financially, they can make their own financial decisions, they can get married and have families if that's what they want to do and contribute to society in, in however way they want to do that. After high school, as opposed to employment, about 19 to 20 percent of adults with IDDs are enrolled in inclusive post-secondary education programs. Carly Gilson explains. Inclusive higher education is the opportunity to receive some kind of post-secondary credential. It's not always a degree. It might be a certificate or in some cases an associate's degree, but typically not a bachelor's degree. But students have the opportunity to receive a, a higher education credential from either a two-year college or a four-year university through a program that typically has a separate admissions process and is designed specifically for students with intellectual disabilities. The Transition Options in Post-Secondary Settings, or TOPS program, at the Ohio State Nysonger Center gives adults with IDDs the opportunity to participate in Ohio State's academic and student life. Jesse Green, a recent three-time graduate of the College of Education and Human Ecology, is the program manager. I spoke to her and Jillian, a student in the TOPS program. I graduated back in May of 2017, and then I went to another program for two years, and I was like a work-based program on campus and stuff. And then I've been in with the program since this semester before COVID, but I took a gap year, so I've been here ever since. 
what has been your favorite part of it so far? I like all the classes and all the social events I try to go to. What are some of the classes that you're taking? Right now, I'm taking public speaking and then like sports with the spectator. And then I'm taking like personal finance and like cooking lab and stuff like that, too. Do you know what you want to do after the program? Are your classes geared around that? I'm definitely going to work somewhere, but I could have like a job, but I don't really know because I have internships. Oh, cool. Where are you interning or have you interned already? So I'm basically a volunteer, but hoping it'll be a paid job in a couple years. And it's the outpatient care center in the evening. And then I like do like cleaning tasks and then pick up surgical supplies from different departments and then drop them off somewhere. In addition to her classes and her internship with Ohio State Outpatient Care New Albany, Jillian works at Whole Foods and with Levy Restaurants in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Jillian's career specialist through TOPS, Ashley, supports Jillian in each of her roles. Here is Jesse Green explaining more about the career specialists. Their role is multifaceted. They meet with students regularly as a career counselor to help them navigate that process from, you know, career exploration and here are some things I might be interested in all the way through to finding that community integrated employment opportunity once they graduate. So, and all the in-between of that is meeting with the student regularly, doing interest inventories, working with businesses to set up new opportunities, potentially. Because we are so student interest focused, the world is our oyster to um, set up those opportunities. Sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're unpaid. It just really varies. There are two career specialists at TOPS who match the students' interests with career possibilities. TOPS employs a full-time job coach who helps the students with job-specific tasks. The coach also trains the business on how best to work with the students. But career exploration and preparation are only one part of the program. TOPS offers its students the opportunity to build a social network. Jesse Green on why that social aspect is important. Many of our students with intellectual disability have not had opportunities. They haven't had opportunities to engage with their peers. They haven't had opportunities to be where they're with folks who don't have disabilities, whether it's in a class, in a social setting, because, you know, much of Jillian and our other students' schooling was done in more segregated settings, and she was around only people with disabilities. And I think that now that she's here at Ohio State, the opposite is true, where yes, she does spend time with other students with disabilities, but really her time is open to spend with anybody she wants and to do what she wants. So whether that's socially at work or in the classroom, these decisions are really led by Jillian and what she is wanting to do. What does Jillian want to do? She is a sports fan, a member of the Make-A-Wish organization at Ohio State, and loves working with Abby, her educational peer coach from the past three semesters. We've been really close. She's helped me a lot. She's helped me a lot with the classes and everything. While she may not be sure which career path she would like to pursue, Jillian is actively building her future and advocating for herself. 
What does the combination of these supports and ideas look like for adults with IDDs? We asked Carly Gilson. When the system works well, it may look like Bud Sugg, whom Carly Gilson met as a doctoral student at Vanderbilt. He went through his schooling, mostly in special education, supported settings, and then went to this program, the Inclusive Post-Secondary Program at Vanderbilt. And after going into the program, he realized that he had a passion for being a radio announcer. And he actually had such a great voice for radio, that kind of voice that is just the right amount of booming and everything he says sounds like it's meaningful and just such a a powerful voice that was perfect for radio. And so through the connections that he received at this post-secondary program, he was ultimately connected to a radio program, radio station, and is still doing that today, is now an announcer for NASCAR and football games. And he has several jobs, but that's one of them. And I think so much of what that story tells me is that it's not just about the classes that you take in college, but it's about the network that being in college really presents you with. And because he was in this program, he had people, staff members, who were advocating for him, who were directing him to resources in the community. Bud works as a fountain operator at Sonic, making drinks, and as a sports board operator at WAKM Radio in Tennessee. What is a sports board operator? Bud can explain it best himself. Those are the people that play commercials whenever there's a commercial break. That's where I come into play. There would be a lineup of commercials uh, up on the computer screen, and there would be a sports log, too. And what I would do there is I would look at the sports log sheet and it would show the sequence of commercials that I'm supposed to play. And I would simply just click on whatever commercials is presented right in front of me. Occasionally, Bud steps out from behind the board to in front of the microphone. Sometimes two different events will be going on. There might be, like, say, a racing game and um, uh, a NASCAR race. It would sometimes end right as another broadcast begins. I would be asked to speak live on the air. And let's say, for example, I'm doing a race and, and there's, say, another race, too. When it's time to do the switcheroo, I'll say something along the lines of, We now take it to live coverage at Indiana Motorland Speedway. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an actual name of of a racetrack, but that's like a preview of sorts of what I would do when I would be asked to, to do the switcheroo. Let's pretend that for people with IDDs, time is a bridge stretching over a cliff. My brother, Jillian, and Bud exist on three different points in that timeline. On one end are in-school services, school psychologists, vocational coordinators. In the middle, higher education, state vocational rehabilitation agencies, training. On the other side, employment, self-determination, a degree of independence. 
This bridge is supported by many people and programs, but it relies on one key, overarching principle, inclusivity. It requires institutions and companies to focus on creating a space for adults with IDDs in their organizations. The principle is not limited to business owners or program directors. Carly Gilson. No matter who you are, or whatever your work is, or whatever you do on a daily basis, there is a way to help make the world more inclusive. And that might just be something as simple as having a conversation. If you see someone at the grocery store who has uh, an intellectual disability, talking to them and asking them how their day is and connecting with them in a way that they might not otherwise receive that day. Because those small gestures really do go a long way in helping to change long-standing societal perspectives and to help make the world a bit more inclusive.